Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm pleased to have a seat. Uh, lovely to see you all here this morning, uh, and greetings though, as well to those who are online. Uh, can I get you to turn with me, please, to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19? 2 Samuel chapter 19, we're looking from the second half of verse 8 onwards to the end of the chapter. Uh, you'll find the text for that in your bulletin, uh, or in your Bible, or in your device. Um, uh, the, the screen there uh, is working at the moment, but we never know, lah. So better to have a copy with you uh, on on hand. Okay, uh, you can you can scan for the bulletin at on the uh, uh, the QR codes in your in the pew as well. So one uh, two Samuel nineteen, uh, and we're beginning from the second half of verse eight. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. And we ask that you do that now uh, as we look at this passage together. Point us to Jesus, we pray. Uh, may we see his glory. Uh, and may we be people who love him and follow him. So we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. King David was God's chosen king of ancient Israel a thousand years before Christ. He was a man after God's own heart who ruled God's people under him. He sinned a terrible sin, but he genuinely repented. And God forgave him. He did not die. He remained as king, and God's promises to him were not annulled. Yet sin led to consequences, some of which we've seen over these last few weeks. One of them was that he is now in exile. His son Absalom had mounted a coup, and David had to flee from Jerusalem. He went east, uh, traveling to the Jordan River, and then crossing it to the Israelite territory on the other side. But God was still with him, and soon he was going to bring him back. The king would return. Three weeks ago, we saw King David heading out towards that exile, and we saw some of the people that he met along the way as he traveled eastward from the city toward the River Jordan. And we'll meet some of them again today. In the two weeks since then, we've seen David flee across the Jordan. We've also seen God's hand at work back in Jerusalem, which resulted in Absalom taking some deliberately bad advice from a spy whom David had planted. And then last week, we saw Absalom being killed. We saw the victory of David and his men, and we saw David's bitter grief at the loss of his son. Our passage today opens and closes with a paragraph each concerning Israel and Judah. Now, the background to this was a long-standing fault line between the, tribes of, the tribe of Judah in the south, uh, sometimes together with the tribe of Benjamin, which was often too small to rate a mention, uh, and the other tribes of Israel in the north. That crack would become hardened after the time of Solomon, when they would develop as two separate nations. But even in 2 Samuel, there was a fissure. You remember David first became king of Judah, and only later did he become king of all Israel, uh, prefiguring the fact that Jesus would be king of the Jews first before the believing Samaritans from the northern kingdom came into his kingdom. Uh, we see that crack in our passage today. Absalom's men from the northern tribes called Israel, at the end of verse 8, had fled, scattered back to their own homes. And their people were goading each other in verse 9, the king has delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. 
Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? Right, so Israel, the northern tribes, they were talking about restoring David. But David was from Judah. And his capital, Jerusalem, was in Judah. If he were to come back as king, he would need the support of Judah as well. And so he sends word to the priests in Jerusalem who are also his agents. And he gives them a message for the leaders there. Verse 11. Say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? He's gently telling them to get their act together and invite him back. He also gives the priests a message for Amasa, the commander of Absalom's army. If Amasa came over to David's side, now that Absalom was dead, David could be certain that there would be no more rebellion. And so he tells them in verse 13 to say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do to me, good God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. Making Joab the commander would assure, um, sorry, making Amasa the commander uh, would assure Amasa and also all those men who are following him that if they came back to David's side, he wasn't going to purge or punish them for their part in the coup. It would be a very strategic move for winning them over. And it would also sideline Joab, his own commander, who had killed his son Absalom against his orders. The people of Judah agreed to invite David back. They send word to the king in verse 14, Return, both you and all your servants. And so David starts the journey westward towards the Jordan. And the people of Judah come out to meet him at Gilgal. They assemble at Gilgal. Uh, Gilgal is near the Jordan, but on the Jerusalem side. Uh, so that when the king actually comes, they can come and they can bring him over. Now, there are many people who meet with David uh, in, this, in, this, uh, in this chapter. Well, in, in this, in this, um, at this time. Uh, but the Holy Spirit actually just gives us a story of three of them. Shimei, Mephibosheth, and Barzillai. Shimei, you may recall from chapter 16, was the man who met David as he was going into exile. He was from Saul's family, from the tribe of Benjamin, and he blamed David for all the deaths in his family. Remember, he was the guy who was cursing David, throwing stones and dirt at him and his men as they left. Back then, one of David's men, Abishai, had wanted to take off his head, but David wouldn't let him. Instead, he took this unwarranted attack as discipline from the Lord. Now that David has won and he's coming back to claim his kingdom, Shimei changes his approach. He comes out, he comes out to meet David, together with a thousand men from his tribe. Another person who comes out is Ziba, the servant of Saul's house, together with 15 sons and 20 servants. Uh, they cross the ford in verse 18 to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. We'll talk about Ziba later, but the spotlight is still on Shimei. Shimei, at the end of verse 18, falls down before the king as he is about to cross the Jordan. And he says in verse 19, Let not my lord hold me guilty, 
or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down and meet my Lord the king. Here is a man who confesses his sin and begs for forgiveness. He knows he's done wrong. He admits it. He falls at David's feet and acknowledges him as the rightful king and throws himself at David's mercy. How should David respond? Well, Abishai still thinks he should kill him. He says to David in verse 21, Should not Shimei be put to death for this for, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And we get that. Because frankly, Shimei does not deserve grace. When David was going into exile, curses, curses, curses. Oh, he's coming back in power? Oh, I'm very sorry, shouldn't have done that. Shimei does not deserve grace. He, doesn't, he deserves to pay for what he did. But grace is never deserved. That's what makes it grace. David rejects the advice of Abishai in verse 22. What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? He doesn't need to punish Shimei to, to make a point. He's the king. The king can be gracious. So the king says to Shimei, You shall not die, and gives him his oath. In this encounter, we see King David pointing forward so well to King Jesus. Many years later, there would be another man from the tribe of Benjamin who persecuted Jesus by persecuting his people. But Jesus called him and forgave him. The man would later write these words in 1 Timothy 1. I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. My friend, that grace is available today for you. You may have treated Jesus wrongly in the past. You may have done despicable things. You may even have persecuted his people. But the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote these things, the one whom Jesus forgave, goes on to say in the same passage, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If you come to Jesus, like Shimei came to David, if you admit your sin and beg Jesus for forgiveness, if you fall down at his feet and acknowledge him as the rightful king and throw yourself at his mercy, he will forgive you. He died so that he could do that without saying that all the wrong things you've done are okay. Never mind the self-righteous Abishai's who do not share the king's heart. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
but do it now. Do not delay. Now is the appointed time. Now is the day of salvation. But there is a sense in which David's grace falls short of Jesus' grace. We don't know the extent to which the 1,000 men that Shimei brought with him contributed to David's decision. May have had no bearing at all, we don't know. But we do know that when we come to Jesus, we come empty-handed, with nothing to offer. He doesn't need us, we need him. And the grace he offers us is pure grace. You know, David would later essentially tell his son Solomon in 1 Kings to, to find a way to get back at Shimei when he takes over. And Solomon finds a way to get him executed, not for this, but for something else. Makes a deal with him not to leave Jerusalem on the pain of death. Shimei agrees to the terms, lives in peace, but then breaks his bond three years later, and Solomon puts him to death. When Jesus forgives us, he doesn't try to trap us into doing wrong so he can punish us for something else. Instead, he gives us his spirit so that we want to obey him. And he continues to be gracious to us when we fail and return to him. The grace of Jesus is better than the grace of David. Let's seek to be more like Jesus than like David. Another person to meet David in verse 24 is Mephibosheth. Now actually, uh, this is not in sequence lah. Huh? Uh, if you look, if you look here, okay. Uh, if you look uh, carefully at verse twenty-five, uh, you see the narrator is temporarily flashing forward uh, to after David arrives in Jerusalem. Uh, presumably, he wants to, presumably he wants to keep Hibbosheth and Shimei material together, uh, as they were sequential when David was going into exile. Uh, you may recall from three weeks ago. Uh, that Mehibosheth was the crippled grandson of Saul, uh, David's predecessor as king, uh, whom David had brought back from his own exile. David had given him Saul's estate, appointed him to eat at his table, commissioned Saul's servant Ziba and his sons to manage his lands for him. But when David went into exile, Ziba had met him with supplies and gifts. Remember that? He told him that Mahibosheth had remained in Jerusalem because he was expecting Absalom to restore the kingdom of his father. And without really investigating this claim, David had given Ziba Mahibosheth's entire estate. Now remember, Ziba is still a supporter of David. Uh, we saw earlier that he rushed down to the Jordan to meet him and his sons to do whatever he wants. But now Mahibosheth appears before the king in Jerusalem. Verse 24 tells us that he had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. Verse 25, the king asks him directly, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answers in verse 26, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said to him, 
I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you sent your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And he claims to be innocent, victim of Zeba's slander. But he knows that actually whatever he has is by David's grace anyway. So he's willing to accept whatever David decides. We don't know if Zeba's telling the truth, or Mephibosheth is telling the truth, or if there's a little bit of truth and a lot of exaggeration on both sides. I think the narrator wants us to be sympathetic to Mephibosheth because he tells us explicitly how he descended to self-neglect until David returned. But he keeps the tension by never actually telling us who was right. David can't work it out. They both support him. They both speak evil of the other. So he says in verse 29, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mehibosheth responds by saying, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. In other words, I'm more concerned for you than for what I can get from you. And perhaps another hint of his sincerity. Friends, sometimes, even among people who are loyal to Jesus, there are people who are disloyal to each other. If you listen to one side, it sounds pretty convincing. And you go and listen to the other side, oh yeah, also sounds convincing. Between these two men, who at least by the end of the story, both loyal to David, there were competing narratives and interests. David judges with very rough justice. He can't decide between the two of them. They're both his supporters. Okay, just divide in half. The justice Jesus gives will be so much better. Those who belong to him, his loyal servants, will be in his kingdom. But he knows our hearts and our intentions. And like anyone, unlike anyone else, he is able to commend and reward his servants rightly. For nothing is hidden from his eyes. We can be assured of that. Well, the flash forward is over. And now we go back to David when he's crossing the Jordan. And we see there in verse 31, Barzillai, the Gileadite, who came down from Rogalim to escort him. This Barzillai was an old man. He was also a very wealthy man who had provided food for David while he was in exile. And now that David is coming back, David wants to return his kindness. He says to him in verse 33, Come over with me and I'll provide for you with me. In Jerusalem. But Barzillai declines his invitation. He says in verse 34, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? 
Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return, that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. This might be his son or someone else, but probably his son now. Let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. Well, David agrees to take Chimham and do with him whatever good that Barzillai might suggest. Then David and all his people cross over the Jordan. He kisses Barzillai and blesses him. Barzillai goes home. And the king continues the journey as far as Gilgal with uh, Chimham with him. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes again, he will reward those who have served him in different ways, including those who have done so with their financial resources. As David repaid Barzillai's love and loyalty to him, so will the Lord Jesus reward those who have shown him love and loyalty. But he can do it so much better. David can't extend Barzillai's life so that he can repay him. All he can do is transfer the reward to the next generation. But Jesus will raise us up when he returns, never to die again. And the rewards he gives will be as eternal as the life we will have with him. So let us keep an eternal perspective as we serve King Jesus, being willing to sacrifice now, knowing that our rewards are in heaven. Remember I told you about the fissure between Judah and Israel at the beginning of the sermon? Well, they end up having an argument in the last part of our passage. Uh, David is now in Gilgal on the Jerusalem side of the Jordan River. But in verse 41, the men of Israel complain. And they say, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? They don't like the fact that he's now in Judah, going back to Jerusalem. They blame the men of Judah. But remember, it was David who wanted to go to Jerusalem. See, the men of Israel want David to be king, but on their terms, which is not good luck. And the men of Judah respond with another argument. They answer in verse 42, stressing their connection with David. Because our king is our close relative, they say, why then are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gifts? Are they not getting monetary benefit from the fact that he's, in, he's, uh, he, he's from Judah and he's in going back to Jerusalem? Uh, the men of Israel come back in verse 43. They say, we have 10 shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then do you despise us? You've got ten tribes supporting the king, Judah only got two. And then they, they argue, they supported David first this time. They said, were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? When David first became king last time, he was the king of Judah first. Okay, but this time we asked him first. He should stay with us. Now we look back at the language the men of Israel were using. It's quite harsh luck. They accused Judah of despising them, accused them of stealing the king. 
We don't know what Judah said after that, but at the end of verse 43, it tells us their language was even fiercer or harsher or more hurtful than the language of the people of Israel. And so Judah and Israel argue over the king. In a sense, it's kind of nice that they both want David. But David has chosen to return to Jerusalem. And he is the king. But the men of Israel find it hard to accept that. See, they don't really want David because he is God's chosen king. If they did, then they would listen to his decree and follow it, whatever it is. Actually, it would seem they simply want David for pragmatic reasons, so that he can unite them. And so they want him on their terms. And next week we'll see that when this doesn't work, they will turn against him instead. There are many today who say they want Jesus to be their king. They acknowledge him, they worship him, they say they belong to him. But they only want him on their terms. They like the idea of his rule in theory, but they don't listen to his word. They want things a certain way. And it's convenient for him to be some sort of uniting figurehead for their purpose. We see this in churches in the West where they say they follow Jesus, but they ignore his sexual ethic and that of his apostles, keeping, his, keeping him as a figurehead, but blessing sin in his name. We see this in churches in Malaysia, where they say they follow Jesus, but really what they're after is material prosperity, and they think they can use him to get that. Once again, keeping him as a figurehead, but following a worldly agenda, rather than keeping his commands. Brothers and sisters, we need to be people who not only acknowledge Jesus as King, but are serious about obeying him. And that means not only calling him king, but listening to his word and obeying it. Well, today we have seen David return to take up his throne. Despite that all that has happened and that we've looked at in these last few weeks, this is actually inevitable because he is still God's chosen king. God has not removed him. From the kingship. Jesus, the ultimate son of David, is God's eternally chosen king. He was exiled in death, not for his sins but for ours, as he bore them on our behalf on the cross. But like David, he returned. He rose again from the dead and was seen by many eyewitnesses. He ascended into heaven and has been given all authority and one day his return will be seen by all when he brings in his kingdom with all its fullness. In the meantime, let those who have previously rejected him come to him for mercy. Let those who are his servants serve him with sincerity and not to seek to do so by slandering his other servants because we know that he will settle all things in the end. Let us acknowledge him not only as king in name, 
but listen to his word and obey it. And when he comes in glory, he will eternally bless and reward his servants who have sacrificed for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has indeed returned from death and will one day return in glory to judge the living and the dead. Father, we pray uh, that in light of that, uh, that you will help us. We pray that all of us would know Jesus as our King. We pray for anyone in, here in this congregation or who is watching online who has not yet submitted to his kingship. Have mercy on them, we pray. Enable them to come to Jesus seeking his forgiveness that they might find abounding grace in him. We pray for all those who know Jesus as our King. Help us, we pray, to serve him sincerely from the heart. Never to slander his other servants in order to put ourselves in a better position. And help us to learn to forgive like him. Please preserve us, we pray, from simply following our own agenda while giving lip service to his kingdom. Teach us instead to subsume our agenda to his, to listen to his word and obey it, knowing that our eternal reward is with him. Help us, we pray, in his name. Amen.